accounting fraud thriller with Children of the Night and getting paid what you're worth, all coming right up, right here on the Hour of Power with Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. Pull the chair and tune in. Hey, have you got a minute? Huh? I'm going to say a word. You tell me what comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Tchaikovsky. Okay, what's the word? No, see, that is the word. What does Tchaikovsky make you think of? I don't know. Allergy season? Uh, hey there, how you doing? What's up? Who's Martha Graham? She invented the graham cracker. No kidding. Yeah, before her there was only soda crackers. Hard to imagine. Uh, hey young lady? Yeah? Uh, does the name Man Ray mean anything to you? Duh. The man ray is a kind of poisonous jellyfish, and it lives in the Gulf of Mexico. Aha. It's very deadly. Are your kids as well-rounded as they could be? Kids who participate in the arts do better in school and in life. To learn more about the value of arts education, visit americansforthearts.org. Because all kids should get to appreciate Tchaikovsky's music, Martha Graham's dance, and Man Ray's photography. Art. Ask for more. A public service message brought to you by Americans for the Arts and the Ad Council. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Hello, party partners. Welcome to radio's finest hour of power. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, a program of positive book talk with authors and experts that help you excel and experience life. My name is Cynthia Bryan. I'm delighted to be your personal growth success coach right here on the airwaves with you every single (laughs) week. So get ready to pump your energy. Love, learn, laugh, listen, and live your dreams through the pages of great books. Our talk format is Champagne for the Spirit, brought to the airwaves by the 501c3 charity, Be the Star You Are, empowering the world through improved literacy, positive message programming. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to get involved and make a difference. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you to be the star of your own life. For more information on a private consultation, over the phone or in person, you can call 925 925- 377-STAR-925-377-7827. The first miracle moment is from Albert Einstein. Your imagination is your preview of life's coming attractions. That's one of my favorite quotes. We love to imagine here. And the second is from former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Look at a day when you are supremely satisfied at the end. It's not a day when you lounge around doing nothing. It's when you had everything to do and you did it. Well, that's pretty exciting. Well, in today's segment uh, of our show, our first segment, we're going to talk with Laura Robbins, who shares her definitive guide on the new rules of grammar and punctuation. And then author and CPA Peter Ponzio joins us in segment two with his new thriller, Children of the Night, which will keep you literally on the edge of your chair. And in our tea for two, a mother-daughter brew, our Heather Brittany and I will be asking you to ask and you shall receive, and we're going to discuss how to earn more by asking for more. In providing this radio program to you, we hope to communicate that you already possess everything you need to be the writer, the producer, the star of your own life. We have three roles, smile, have fun, and be wild and crazy. They're not very hard. And, of course, we want you to read books, perhaps books that you have never heard of. I am the author of Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul, 
Be the star you are, the business of show business and miracle moments. And very grateful to be a New York Times bestseller. And, of course, we bring you uh, books here every week on the show that we feel need to line your book shelves. My motto is to be a leader, you must be a reader. So sit back and have a great time. Well, my best education was grammar school, where I was taught by Irish nuns who were absolute sticklers for proficiency in speaking and writing the English language. And it was a challenge for me because being the child of immigrants, I had what I called quick language. We, I don't even know what I spoke, some dialect of something, but it certainly wasn't English. And to this day, I can still recite my copulative verbs and the prepositions, and I have confidence in diagramming sentences. And after reading Laura Robbins' new book, Grammar and Style at Your Fingertips, I realized that there are a lot of new rules of grammar and punctuation. I found out that there are many new ways to spell, capitalize, and to use you know, plurals, numbers, and symbols. So this book is bound to be a writer's treasured secret weapon, and you can learn more about it, too, by picking up grammar and style at your fingertips. And Laura is with us. So welcome, Laura, to Be the Star You Are. Hi, how are you? I am very well. Thank you so much. Congratulations on creating a very simple, user-friendly guide for anyone who wants to write correctly or speak correctly in our modern world. Well, thank you very much. Well, you know, I was surprised um, to know that many of the once hard and fast rules, for example, uh, I was taught never to start a sentence with a conjunction or never, ever, ever end a sentence with a preposition. They've kind of gone by the way of the dodo bird now. I mean, they really have. Those are, those are a couple of um, outmoded traditions. Really? See, I still work very hard to use, to have my sentences so that I don't end them, you know, in, about, above, across, after, against, among, round, Absolutely. at, down, through, <laughs> <laughs> And in my book, you will see a whole list of some prepositions that um, might be um, unfamiliar to you as well. They are, that's as what I did. It was really interesting, as I said earlier, is um, being taught by the nuns who were just so wonderful, you know, in the king's language, of course, Sure. We had to we had to memorize all of these, and so I turned to your page on prepositions, and I thought, "Ha, huh, I know this." And then I thought, when I read, there's lots of new prepositions and lots of double prepositions, you know, right. things that are joined together. Why don't we talk about some of the changes in the language and how it was for you, because you are uh, an editor, a senior editor, and I'm sure that you really you had to learn uh, a lot about grammar and style so that you can edit books properly. Well, that's true. Um, I'm actually the senior managing editor, which is slightly different than an editor at my company. Um, Oh, tell us what the difference is. Well, an editor, well, at my company, we have editors who acquire and they work directly with the authors um, to mold and sculpt the book um, for uh, to be ready to come to me, basically. Right, right, right. And then it's my responsibility to hire copy editors and review that work and um, even do copy editing myself, um, to hire proofreaders, to transmit you know, the, pro- the, the books and um, make sure that um, there's a style sheet that's easily understandable. Um, and, and you're a senior managing editor for the Berkeley Publishing Group, right? It's the Berkeley Publishing Group. It's part of Penguin Group USA. Um, we're pretty big. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, absolutely big. Very big. And, of course, your book is um, is published through Penguin 
through alpha, it is. right? It's, yeah. yeah. It's, um, alpha is, um, is, I guess, another imprint, but it's not really um, – well, actually, some of the editors are in this building, um, but it's actually based out of Indiana, um, yeah, it's uh, well. I guess it calls itself Alpha Slash <laughs> Penguin, right? Something like that. But that's very that's interesting. But you do have to do copy editing as well, so sure, you really need sure. to know about what you're writing. Absolutely. And I've been doing this, um, or at least working in this company <laughs> for 15 years now. Um, and when I first came to this company, it was just as a temp. I had no clue at all. I came from a town of 570 people in Missouri, um, and we always say that includes chickens and cows. Oh, I love that, because I raise chickens and cows. <laughs> <laughs> we raise horses and dogs. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but, you know, I came here, it was just a stopgap. I had been a nanny to try to get into the city um, and to, you know, start working. I thought I was going to be a teacher. And to some degree, I guess I am now. Um, I, I well, you have... are a teacher, but I want to ask you before you go on, did you have a good grasp of the English language then, or did it really did. come after you arrived? No, no. I had a, I had a, a fabulous, fabulous. Actually, um, one of my um, acknowledgments in my book is to, one of, uh, to a couple of my teachers um, from uh, high school. Um, I had a wonderful, wonderful English teacher, Blanche Kelly, um, who was also our drama and our speech and debate coaches. Um, and she um, is the first person who made me write, whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> now, isn't it amazing how uh, teachers can just influence us so much? They really do. And, you know, really, really, really help us grow and, and be the person we were meant to be by their encouragement and their knowledge. Absolutely. Just keeping so us on the path. A good teacher can do a whole lot. And yeah. that's why I actually moved to the city. I thought I was going to be a teacher. Um, following in their footsteps, but um, yes, she um, she taught me, you know, to write and to be heard, um, and ha- to enunciate and project. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and you have and to do that for acting as well. So right. that was fun. <laughs> we did a little of that too. Um, but uh, I always had, if you, uh, in my introduction, I mentioned the fact that um, it sort of came easy to me how to, um, when I see it, I can fix it. I'm that that sort of a person. I'm very mm-hmm. visual in my understanding of the English language. Um, but I couldn't always explain how other people should do it, and I would get very frustrated when they wouldn't do it correctly. <laughs> yeah, I understand that completely because that's what I, that's one of the things I love about your book, Grammar and Style at Your Fingertips, is uh, I also, with a background that I had with the nuns that taught me, is I knew how to do it and I could diagram the sentences. And I, but when other people would say, you know, why do we need a predicate nominative? Why isn't there an object of a preposition? Right. Here, I wasn't quite able to explain it, you know, because right. first you have to explain what the prepositions were and then what an object was and why it wasn't a direct object. And your book <laughs> just made it so clear. And then everybody's eyes glaze over. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They totally glaze over and they go like, you are such a nerd. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, we take pride in being nerds here. I take very big pride <laughs> in it. I love it. I love it. Well, um, I think it's such a, it's a great thing to be able to write and speak it is. Uh, properly. It is. I, I, one of the other things I said in the introduction is, you know, words, words are the beginning of everything, whether you say them or you think them. Words are what you're using. Um, people who who don't have a language um, that we understand, they have words. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So um, 
the rules are are great, and I think that this, I hope that this um, book is helpful to people. It was supposed to be something that would be sort of universally helpful um, to people who, you know, wanted to um, write a letter versus, you know, write a story. Well, you know, I want to go back to writing letters and stories and, and why, I'm getting, why I think that in this day and age why this book is useful is, first of all, I have to tell you, whatever book that, that I had when I was in grammar school, it was fabulous, and it was so easily understandable. I don't know where it is, you know, because we didn't get to keep them. And this is the first book that's come around that I thought I have the questions and you had the answers and I could find what I was looking for very easily. And you said in your introduction that you were a good speller, but you're not a great speller, although I would say placing third in a spelling bee would place you as a pretty great speller. Did I mention how many people were in my town? (laughs) Well, that's true. Okay, if there were only four in your class, then maybe not. But... But in any case, I would still think that that was, that was good. But here has, here's what I have found, Laura, in the last few years. With the advent of the Internet and now with text messaging and with all, you know, the fast, fast, fast pace, people seem to be cutting. You know, everything is abbreviated. And I must say that although I've always been a really good speller and I always won a lot of spelling bees, that was what I was terrible in science, but spelling I could do. Right. Is, because things are cut these days, I find that I am not spelling as well as I used to. And, you know, I try to get the message across as quickly as possible. And when I read it, there's sometimes, you know, it, very quick. It's just a one word. Maybe it's a verb. Maybe it's a noun. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is I do. That, are, do you find that? Are you finding that with any of the things that you're having to do? The copywriting is that because of the speed, the warp speed at which we're all working today, that people aren't taking the time to remember how to write in a correct way and to form a sentence? I think there are different um, types of writing, and I think in some, in some instances it's appropriate. I just worked on a book that had um, some captures from um, some uh, emails and IMs. Um, instant messaging. Right, right. <laughs> not to use the There you go. See, there I am. It's like pretty soon we're not going to even know what it stands for. I know. Um, I actually, um, in in that case, just to touch there, um, in that case, um, it made sense with what what was being told in the book um, to see. We actually kept the um, the the lack of punctu- proper punctuation, the lack of proper spelling. Um, we kept that. Because it was it was a nonfiction book and it was true to what you know was there um, on those emails and IMs. Um, however, <laughs> when I have you know a fiction title, um, sometimes we will we, we will always you know it's an author's world and um, their name is on the book and we will always you know bow to their preferences for selling. Um, so that's one of the things that we contend with in, in my day to day job that um, people have just a preference. You know, is blonde with an E or without an E? Is it with, you know, is it spelled with an E only when it's a feminine noun? Or is it um, spelled with an E whenever it's a feminine noun? Well, let's noun answer that question because I spell it only with an E when it's a feminine noun and, and without an E when it is masculine. Has that rule changed as well? <laughs> well, it depends on whose book it is. <laughs> really? Yeah. Our that's preference is, is exactly what you just said, um, and and I think that that's the over um, that's um, that's the majority of people would agree with that. Um, but then you will have someone who will just do blonde, no e for everything, and that will be a specific choice that they're making. 
and you know we will we will let it stand. We will add it to the style sheet. <laughs> That's interesting. So you edit the style sheet instead of the book. Well, see, the, so there's so many new things. Own, now, another thing that I saw in your book is um, when you are putting um, question marks and exclamation marks. Before we would, you know, you would be pretty sparing on the exclamation marks, and you use question marks for questions. Sure. But I saw in your book you have exclamation mark, question, exclamation mark, when you really wanted to put an emphasis, and then that's okay now too. You know, we would do that kind of with friends, but not normally. Well, it just depends again on the type of book it is. Um, there are, I work also on some young adult books, and when. Um, you have one character saying something to another character in an excited and silly fashion. They, the, the author may want to y- use a punctuation to express that. So that, in that case, then, it would be all right. Right, right. Each book is individual. And that's, that's one of the great things about um, creativity is you, the sky's the limit these days. Well, you know, it, I think what's exciting is that how many things are approved now that were not approved before. Now, one thing I didn't see in your book, because I'm sure that the name has changed, mm-hmm. but I wanted to find out what you know about it, is we were taught the couplet of verbs, um, and those were appear, become, continue, feel, grow, look, remain, seen, sound, taste, and the verb to be. And these verbs never would have a direct object because they were always in the nominative case. They'd have a predicate nominative. I didn't see see anything about couplet of verbs in your book. Are are they not copulative anymore? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> um, we do have a whole chapter dedicated to verbs. Yes, you do, um, and I read it carefully. We may and I have thought, used, where, where are these? Um, we may have used, well, we do have lists of verbs. I know that. We have transitive and tra- sorry, transitive. And you have all the different tenses. Oh, we have all the different. I'm flipping through my book. Can you tell? <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. I hope you love your book. How, how does it feel while you're paraging through your book? To have your own book. You've been it working on everyone bizarre. else's years. And, and I've already found, um, well, you know, a, a period or so to, to correct. <laughs> I know, but it's not very, it's probably not very much. No, no, so no. I was wondering, are, are they maybe, yeah, I don't know what, do you, do you know what I'm even talking about? Or maybe they're not? I'm not really sure. You're, you're saying causative verbs? No, they're called copulative. C-O-P-U-L-A-T-I-V-E. And there are only a certain, they were appear, become, continue, feel, hmm. grow, look, remain, seem, sound, taste, and the verb to be. And well, they I think always, we learned from a different book maybe is what it is. And um, see, hmm. Well, see, I couldn't tell you because, again, I'm remembering this from second grade. Right. So this is as pounded into me right, that, these I see would that. Never have a, uh, they could never have a direct object. And so I was, I was just waiting to read something about it. So maybe there's no rules about it anymore because you would have had it. Well, maybe. <laughs> or maybe it. it's something for, for, you know, the second edition. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, but I, I want to tell you, your book is fantastic. Every writer needs to have this on their desk and because they're, they're, you're just not going to make any more mistakes. You have everything down here for us. Do you have a website that you want to give out? Do you want to give out the publisher website? Honestly, um, I am a first-time writer. This is my first book. Um, my, one of my very good friends um, used to actually have my position at this company, 
and she is now an agent, and she offered me this opportunity. And oh. um, so I do not have a website. Okay, well, welcome. I'm so glad um, you joined the, I, the uh, ranks of author. But why don't we send them to um, the publisher then? Um, okay. Okay, so what, that website is, is what? Is it uh, alphabooks.com? Um, you know what? That's a fabulous question. Okay. No <laughs> I cannot find go to, go to their website. Star I can tell you Penguin. Laura, we're out of time. Thank okay. you so much for being a great guest, and thank you thank for you. writing a great book. Thanks so much. Grammar and Style at Your Fingertips by Laura Robbins. I'm Cynthia Bryan. I'll be back in a minute. America and How It Got This Way, brought to you by World Talk Radio. Here's two fur buddies. I'll be right back. You're listening to World Talk Radio. Men and women are in the throes of a torrid 15,000-year-old love affair. Nah, not with each other. With the dog. Good old Canis Familiaris. To most guys, their dogs are extensions of their own personas, so they give them names like Rocky, Goliath, Tarzan, or Valentino. To most women, their dogs are extensions of their ex-husbands. I mean, how else do you explain names like George, Larry, Norman, or Death Breath? But either way, a dog will love you. Listen, if you're ready to give a pet a good home, the most loyal, unfailing friend you can ever have is at your Humane Society right now, just waiting for you to show up. With America and How It Got This Way, I'm Joe Guerra for World Talk Radio. Listen, the world is talking. World Talk Radio. Star You Are showcases incredible authors who enhance and inspire your life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering women, family, and youth at risk through improved literacy and positive message programming. Visit the website at be the star you well, you're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am your personal growth coach, and I am so happy that you stayed with us because you are going to love this next interview and this next book. Inspired by the recent wave of accounting scandals, including that horrific failure of Arthur Anderson and Company, author and CPA Peter Ponzio has brought his 30 years of experience in corporate financing to this fantastic thriller that he has penned. It's called Children of the Night. It is a realistic portrayal of greed, of corruption, and of desperation that exist in our financial industry and world today. Welcome, Peter, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Hi, Cynthia. Thanks for having me on the program. I loved your book. I already emailed it. I, w- I had to read it in one seating. I mean, it is such a thriller. It's like one of these page-turners that once you start, you can't put down because you want to find out what's going to go on. Yeah, yeah. I was um, sort of surprised that it turned out as fast as it did. Um, you know, when you're writing, you're not exactly sure how it's going to turn out. Well, you know, I want to ask you about the writing process because mm-hmm. here you have been a CPA for over 30 years, right? You've, you mm-hmm. have developed um, companies, you've been VP of sales, you started Internet uh, startups, but you were actually an English 
a major from yeah. Loyola University, and you're currently going to Northwestern to get your MA in literature. Yeah. It seems like opposite sides of the spectrum, you know, this creative writing and then this numbers mind. What inspired you to create these characters? Did they come from all the kind of the disasters that you're seeing out there in the world, and they just spoke to you? Um, yeah, to a certain extent. I think... Um well, first of all, yeah, it's sort of weird having an English major and an accounting major. And I picked up the accounting major simply because I needed a job. Oh, it you know, it wasn't reason. something I wanted to do. Um, I originally wanted to um, teach, but um, I went to night school, and it took me 10 years to get my B.A. And so, um, you know, I needed to have, I needed to have an income uh, while I was going to school. Well, at least you picked a good profession that gives a good income. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't something that I chose. It just I just sort of happened into it. Well, you must be good at it. You stayed in it for thirty years, and you you reached the top of your industry. So yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted to. It wasn't do. your passion. Yeah, yeah. But I think now what, you're writing, and that is your passion. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what I wanted to do. I was concerned about you know some of the accounting scandals that were going on. Um, you know, and Enron, concern is probably a mild word, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about the the ones that have happened in the past five or six years, they're just mind-boggling. Um, and I think you know one of the things that happens is you hear about these scandals, but you don't get the personal side of them. You don't find out what happens to people. Well, and that's what your book about, is about, Children of the Night. Yeah. And I, I tell you, when I wrote it, I mean, when I wrote it, when I read it, what I was writing in my mind and thinking in my mind is, oh, my goodness, we as the general public have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and how things are being covered up and the effect it's having on the lives of the people that are involved. Yeah. When, when you think about um, Enron and Arthur Anderson, which, you know, those two are sort of linked forever, um, 100,000 people lost their jobs. Mm. Um, they lost their income. They lost their benefits. Um, they lost their pensions. Uh, they lost their 401K. They lost everything that they had worked their whole yeah, lives yeah. for. And what you hear about are the big celebrities or the guys that are in the limelight, and you hear about you know, the facts behind it. There, there's a great book called The Smartest Guys in the Room by Bethany McLean and Peter Elkind that talks about exactly what happened at Enron. But what, what doesn't happen is you don't get into the minds of the characters. Uh, you don't find out about the victims. You find out about the, about the people who, who um, perpetrated actually, it. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to turn that around a little bit and allow people to see you know, sort of what happens to the victims. Now, it's a fictional thing, obviously. Um, and what you can do in fiction is you can sort of get into people's heads and understand their motivation as well. It doesn't read like fiction, though. That's what I think is so great about it. It's so realistic. So let's talk about your characters. Sure. Did you base them on anybody in, in particular, anybody you knew, or was it a combination of people? Um, there, there's one character who is almost a total lift from somebody who's a friend of mine, and that's Jude Levy. I was just going to say, it must yeah. be Jude. He's like the ultimate good guy. Yeah, and the rest of the people are sort of amalgams of different um, people either I've worked with or read about, and some of them are quite famous, you know, 
and I don't want to name any names. Uh, I don't think that would be appropriate. No, that's, you don't have to name names, but it's neat to know that you actually you have been uh, you've been looking at people and knowing their characteristics, and then they just showed up in yeah. your in your writing. Is that how it kind of works? Yeah, it's sort of how it works. And then I did a lot of research about uh, you know reading books about accounting scandals, in addition to things that that also happen in my life. I think you know accountants at once they get to a certain level, there's always pressure. Um, to hit um, earnings forecasts and sales forecasts. And um, once or twice I have been asked to, um, you know, make forecasts uh, become more realistic, and, and I just wouldn't do it. You know, I, I don't think that's ethical. Um, certainly not in a recent company that I worked in, but, but when I was starting in my career. That happens a lot. And, you know, um, one of the things that one of the themes in the book is the theme of you know acting um, responsibly and um, you know m- making a call to do the right thing. And when you're put in a position like that, that's an awfully tough position to be put in because you have to make a decision. And um, you know it's only you. It's very lonely having to make that kind of decision. And that's one of the things that comes out, I think, in the book. Well, you just mentioned in early in your career you were asked to do these things, and obviously the characters in the in the book, your main character Richard Elliot, mm-hmm. and then later on his son, are both being you know propositioned with doing things that are on maybe not so unethical, but would be not totally correct. Right? Is it happened mostly to the new recruits? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it did to me. Um, it happens at all levels, honestly. Um, one of the one of the other things that caused me to to write this book is when you look at some of the scandals that have happened. There's all these excuses that people use. We had to make our earnings numbers. Uh, the street expected it. Um, well, you know, we'll fix it later. It's not that big of a deal. And and what you find is people not really accepting responsibility for their actions. Always blame it on something else. Well, and you that you brought that out very clearly in the book because um, at the accounting firm they were being pushed by the corporations to not let not let it out on the street that right. something wasn't right. So you'd have to fix the books in somewhere else and add it here. And I mean, I don't even understand how accounting is done. It's just it's all magic to me. But it was just it's amazing that that they were the CEOs and the people in charge, the managers, were even expecting that kind of, um, well, it's wrongdoing. It yeah. seemed wrong to me. It seemed wrong, but they, did, they seemed to be able to sweep it under, under the, uh, the uh, doormat. And that happens quite a bit. Does yeah. it? How about how about your really bad character? Oh my gosh, he, I was I was so afraid of of him. Are there people out there like that? Uh, Kazmarek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kazmarek's actually um, modeled after a CEO in one of these um, um, uh, financial scandals. Oh really? Oh, yeah, boy, he yeah. was just ruthless and completely unethical. Right. And it doesn't it didn't seem that it mattered one bit who he took down and what families he ruined. Right. In it, in fact, one of the things that just chilled me from your book Children of the Night was uh, there was the one chapter where it ends, oh, Richard Elliot, oh, the guy that we killed, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, his son's working. Oh, good. Well, now we can just let him take the fall. Right. Right. I thought, oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it. it you know, obviously, as I said, it's fictional. But there are people like that. Um, 
not not to that extent, but but it's sort of an A type personality that wants to um, you know leave some kind of a legacy or either um, uh, live a certain type of lifestyle that he's become accustomed to, and you know other people don't mean that much to him. It's pretty scary sometimes if you meet people like that, and I have met a few. Yeah, I found it very frightening, and, and it was. I just was hoping beyond hope that Jude and William would be able to make it through this next step because it had been so difficult, you know, for Richard in the beginning of what he was what he, when he was doing it. And I don't want to give any I don't want to give anything away from the book, but um, the fact was is that the family was so affected by what had happened to Richard at the downfall that he took you know he was the fall guy basically and and that you know that speaking of the family i think that's one of the themes um that i wanted to bring out in the work you know on the one hand there's there's these people motivated by greed and corruption and then on the other hand there's people like uh, miriam and richard and william and jude who um uh, are opposed to that kind of behavior, um, that, that they do take a stand on things and that they uh, believe in something. And there's this tension between those two worlds. And, um, you know, that tension occurs in real life, too. Um, and that tension occurs with people who have to do this stuff for a living and they're put in a position where they have to make a decision. And it does affect their families. And, um, well, you know, for, as an example, look what happened to the people at Arthur Anderson and Enron. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they suffered as a result of the greed and corruption that went on at those, um, at those companies. Well, and as you say, we only read about, you know, the big players in it. And we may read once in a while about somebody who lost their job. But what we don't know is the backstory of the husbands, the wives, the children, the grandkids, you know, everyone else in their circle of living that was affected by that scandal and the fact that they, you know, this individual lost their jobs, it's that there's a trickle-down effect. So, you know, it's millions and millions of dollars and thousands of people yeah. that have been affected by the, the corporate greed of a few people at the top. And, you know, you have your character, um, McAllister, yeah. who, and his, uh, and Jacob's, that uh, Jacob Scott, mm-hmm. and you describe them so well. Jacob Scott wearing these sunglasses and always have to be in the dark, and he just seemed like a vampire, blood sucking. And I, I know you had some redeeming thoughts in his, you know, for him. You had some mm-hmm. redeeming things, but I, you just really don't like this man because he sold his soul to the devil, basically. Yeah, that's right. And in the background, at the, in Chapter 27, he's listening to um, Sympathy for the Devil. So. Yes, and he's yeah. like a devil. And then, of course, then there's the, the uh, McAllister, there, who's supposed to, he should have been a good guy. When they go to visit Miriam, that scene was very frightening to me because they're handing her, in the depths of her grief, they're handing her papers to sign saying, oh, we take care of our own, we're so very sorry. Right. And, you know, they were just so menacing. And it made me realize that, she felt in her gut they were evil. Right. That's what we have to follow is our gut. Don't listen to the words. Look at the body language and, and right. go with what you believe in. Well, you know, one of the things that I, want, that I was trying to do in that, I, I'm sure everybody's heard the expression from companies, you know, people are our most important resource, and then they go and act differently, totally, total, totally different than that. That's yes. right. And so, you know, there's that whole hypocrisy aspect of it that... Um, that comes out when you read the novel. 
And that's what you brought out. I mean, the book is called Children of the Night, Peter Ponzio, and, and Peter's website is www.peterponzio.com. That's P-O-N-Z-I-O.com. I just want to get that out. Now, you've talked about uh, legislation. Is there going to be something that you think that we as just normal citizens are going to be able to count on that we'll be able to have these accounting firms and or these big uh, corporations to be more accountable because we really and truly don't know what's going on. I know myself when I get, um, oh, what's it called, Peter, in the mail, you know, when you get a proxy for yeah, one a of proxy, the... Yeah. Yes, a proxy. I, I kind of feel like, is it even worth me filling it out because aren't they just going to do what they want anyway? Well, um, the, the two-part Two-part answer. First thing is that there was some legislation passed about five years ago called Sarbanes-Oxley. And um, the intent was um, to um, give more teeth to the accounting profession and to make sure that um, there was more work done on the underlying um, financial transactions that occur at every business. That's, a, that's great in theory, and I support the theory of it. In practice, however... It was written by um, two legislature, legislators who really didn't know much about the day-to-day workings of accounting. So when that piece of legislation came out, what happened was all the accountants sort of panicked because there was no specific guidance given. And um, as a result of that, um, the length and expense of audits went up tremendously. And the stated goal of it to make the financial statements better to restore public confidence might not have actually happened as a result of that legislation. So in, in reality, it was ineffective. Yeah, I think so. And, and here's the bigger issue, I think, from, from an accounting standpoint. You know, accountants actually um, have a mandate to do three different things. One is to be watchdogs, and that's the audit function that, you know, people can then rely on public companies' financial statements. The second thing is there has to be advocates to their clients which is sort of difficult to do because what you're saying is I'm auditing you, but I'm also sticking up for you. So that's, that's really like you're in two different courts there. Well, here comes the third one, and the third one is they do consulting engagements where they actually put in systems, and then they have to audit those systems that they put in. <laughs> so there's three divergent tasks that accountants are tasked with, and the three of them conflict. And so the accounting profession then has to try to figure out how to, how to work their way through that maze. And to give you an example, when, uh, with going back to Arthur Anderson and Enron, there's no way right now for accountants to go public when they find out about fraud. We there can't isn't. do that. That's fa- I didn't even know that. can't do that. It's, it's a conflict of interest. Because you're, you are hired to protect the company that, you, that has hired you. Right. What we can do is we can go to the um, company and say, you know, you have these problems, fix them, or we have to do something about it. We can't issue a clean opinion, um, or they can fire us. Now, the only thing we can do is issue a qualified opinion, which tells the street there's some kind of a problem with the financial statements, but we can't disclose what that problem is. So it's sort of a catch-22. And definitely conflict of interest here, yeah. because, you know, just like what happened in your book, they can just, uh, the, a company can just say you're fired. Yeah, exactly. And then they just find somebody else to do it, right? Right, yeah. So if you do the right thing, 
you are punished. If you don't do the right thing, you are punished. So you're punished no matter what. Well, Peter, this book is fantastic. I hope that you're working on a follow-up to it because I thought your characters were so well-developed and, you know, they have such pathos and I was just, I was there every minute. I could just see it all. So I, I hope that you will continue doing this. The name of the book is called Children of the Night. Peter Ponzio. The website is www.peterponzio.com. Are you working on another book or a follow-up to this? Is it going to be a series? I'm working on another book. It's a collection of short stories, and it's not a follow-up to Children of the Night, but um, I might. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think you could. I mean, we'd like to know what happens. Well, I don't even want to say because I I don't want to give away the ending. But anyway, Peter, I love your surprise ending. It was great. It's been fantastic having you on the show. Congratulations on this book. Good luck with getting your MA um, in literature from from Northwestern University. I think that we have a another um, literature pro on the march here with your writing. You you really have a beautiful way with words. I love your style. Thanks, Cynthia. Thank you so much. This was Peter Ponzio, www.peterponzio.com. The book is Children of the Night. Pick it up anywhere or you can go to uh, peterponzio.com and get it. You're listening to Cynthia Bryant on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We'll be back in a minute and it's tea for two time. The mother-daughter Stella Donagata gals are coming right at you. Singing lovely songs of love is all I ever dreamed of. World Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Morgan Freeman. America's national park system is one of the best ideas our country ever had. And I've got a lifetime of memories to prove it. But our parks are in trouble. Inadequate funding and other pressures are risking some of America's most awe-inspiring places. To help, visit www.americansfornationalparks.org or call 1-800-NATPARK. 1-800-NAT-PARK. That's just too much to lose. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. business you have a lot of choices out there you can start from scratch buy an existing business or purchase a franchise the best way to figure out what and how you will start your business is to ask yourself a few questions number one what is the business that you want to get into what are the products and services that you want to sell who are your customers and what are the demographics is your product or service necessary how will you set yourself apart from the competition what industry are you in anyway How will you fund the startup? And who do you know that already turns a profitable business in your field? Starting a business means that you are already halfway there. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. This is Cynthia Bryan from Star Style with another Business Bite. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. And you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with me, your personal growth success coach, Cynthia Bryan. And this is our Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew segment. And with me is my beautiful co-host, Heather Brittany. Hello, hello. 
Well, uh, we are going to be talking on how to get what you deserve and to ask for it. But before we do, I wanted to just to announce a couple of exciting upcoming seminars that I am doing, and you are invited to participate. Ooh. Yes, 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 and I hope that you will. Some are in person and some are online. And the first one that's coming soon is I will be teaching how to create the life you love with a Dream It, Do It series of online classes at eMindful. And I'm going to have a webcam, which will be fun. I've never done a webcam before. So you'll be able to hear and see me and interact with me. And it'll be three different days of learning how to create what you want in your life. So visit eMindful.com for all the details. That's eMindful.com, E-M-I-N-D-F-U-L. But hurry, hurry, because it fills up fast. Also, I'm going to be teaching a writing, a presenting, and a media skills a whole week at Art for the Soul Retreat in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, also coming up soon. For more information, you want to visit artsforthesoul.net. And while I'm in Colorado, they're also sponsoring a Gardener Soul Picnic, where you're going to get to enjoy a gardening tour at the beautiful uh, Botanical Gardens. I'll be doing a lecture, and we'll have a picnic and can autograph books. And then finally, there is um, another fabulous lecture series that I'm going to be doing in England. And would you like to go to England and join me? I'm going to be at the number one destination spa in the United Kingdom, Grayshot in Surrey. That's G-R-A-Y-S-H-O-T-T. This is a, a beautiful mansion that's nestled in a corner of England that's so rich in heritage and culture. It's just about an hour from London. And the, the house was once the country seat of the Victorian poet laureate Alfred Lord Tennyson. So how perfect for me as a writer to be speaking there. Make the, be readers and be leaders. That's it. <laughs> and it dates back to 1085. I can't even imagine. So it's it's almost a thousand, well, it is. It's a thousand years old. It's a thousand years old, this, this uh, place. It's great. So for more information, you can go to www.grayshotspa.com. That's G-R-A-Y-S-H-O-T-T, spa.com. And, of course, all these opportunities to meet and greet are available at my website, CynthiaBryan.com, and I hope to see you all either in person or online at any of these events. We'll always have fun because we'll have my role, smile, have fun, and be wild and crazy. Right, Heather? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so what our topic is today is we want to ask, are you able to overcome your own fears and get what you deserve in life? Are you learning to earn what you believe is fair? Well, maybe it's time to start asking for what you want. You know the adage, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be opened. And unfortunately, most of us, and I'm included in this, we have problems asking for what we want in life. And therefore, we get just what we don't ask for, you know, and life has this way of giving you not what you deserve, but what you ask for. So we wanted to talk about it today on how we can get more, be more, and feel good about it by asking properly. 
Exactly. Well, so, you know, what a relief. The grueling task of finally getting a job is over. And you receive your offers and your packages and everything presented to you. But before you hastily, you know, agree, great, I finally got this dream got job, you need to make sure you're making a competitive salary. And then if not, uh, you need to find out what your equal worth is and then go in there and negotiate. They said that negotiating often results in about 10% improvement in the initial offer. So you'd go in there saying something like, Based on my understandings of this job, you know, I feel the company and the skills that I can bring forward, I feel I'm worth about $5,000 more than what you're willing to give me. And something that's really important for students, too, is students seem to make employers aware of all the work they've done and internship experience they've had in the past, recommendations, all this stuff is leading up. And the big thing about negotiation, why we bring forward, is to go in front of the boss and really to have that leadership, it impresses them that you have this go-getter attitude, that you're willing to say, I want this, you want that, let's meet somewhere in the middle here and negotiate it. And oftentimes, so many people, they, they will, if they overprice themselves, they can get themselves out of the job, but then if they underprice themselves, financially they're hurting, and then they're underpaid for their overskilled abilities. So the biggest thing is just getting out there and putting, uh, putting out there to, uh, employers, your your well, your net worth of the thing. So it's always important to go in um, into the nego- negotiations, knowing what the competitive pay uh, for your job is for throughout the country. And you can find this stuff in local libraries. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because the first thing is is that uh, I want to break it down into points. Is that yes, when you first get a job, you're so excited because so many of us, we go home and we go, oh my God, they hired me. You know, and yeah, then we always kind of have the honeymoon stage of a new job. You think, oh my God, I'm going to get these hours, I'm going to work this and this. And we all know within about a week or so, you start slowly finding out that, you know, this internship, uh, you know, of working under someone is really just you being a box and mail girl. Yes, and I think that what happens so often is that if you accept a salary that's lower than what you really want and what you, you feel that you're worth, you're going to get resentful very quickly. And then instead of you doing a great uh, job, you're going to be trying to find ways to either get a new job or, or you know, to yeah, actually bring up a really good point to going into it. When you first have that initial meeting, you should discuss with them the opportunity for you to advance in job placement and, and as well with income going along with that. You know, ask them what are the things, uh, you know, what, what if any, uh, other plans for me to improve to go further in this company. If it's a stagnant position, if, you know, you're going to come in at this one level and that's all you're going to say, possibly this isn't for you because you won't, over time with the fluctuation of money and things, and you'll be, you're, uh, bringing more skills and more experience to the table, your net pay, you should be getting compensated more for this. Well, also, when you talk about bringing more experience to the table, that is, I think, the key negotiating point, is that you go in to talk to someone, uh, whether it's at the beginning of the job or even if you have a job now and you feel that it's time for a review and you ask for that time, is that you would go in and say, you know, based on what I've been doing or based on what I can bring to the table, and then you don't just say that, then you have to list it. Or you say, if you're already at a job, in the last five months, I have been able to do this. I learned a new you know, a new program on the computer, I saved our company X amount of dollars, or I brought in X amount of employees, or, you know, our clients, or whatever it is. So you specify it, because what happens so often with employers and people who are in charge of the paycheck 
it's not that they're trying to underpay you. It's that they're very busy people with a lot on their own plate, and they just want everybody to do their job and to do it right. But they may not. It may even that they may be thrilled with what you did, but until you actually specify and break it down for them what you did, they may not realize how important. Um, the job that you did was and how it impacted your company. And I know for me, tell Dulce hello, Heather. <laughs> I don't know and sneak in there. But <laughs> you can hear Dulce Dog. She's always on the radio with us. Normally she's quiet unless she has somebody else that comes. But, you know, I know with me when I've had to em- employ somebody before, until uh, very often, until they brought something to my attention, I didn't take the initiative to say, oh, wow, you're doing a great job. I want to pay you extra amount of money. And that's oftentimes people, sometimes they feel that if the boss hasn't made that note of, oh, Sally, you deserve it, that they think maybe they don't deserve it. But how uh, an employee negotiates is a good in- indicator on how the person's going to perform in the job. So if they're putting that forward, that, you know, look, employer Smith or whatever you want to call them, I've brought this and this forward to the job. You know, over the months here, my sales have been this. Showing the, impo- showing the improvements um, over time, and this is just you know what you bring to the what you bring to the company uh, is able to is able to get you to advance further. Well, I have a I have a little bit of um, uh, a story that I can tell that is kind of interesting, and that is somebody that is a volunteer with our charity, and she works in this accounting firm, and she's been working there a couple of years and doing a really outstanding job, and she brought in, um, she's like doubled their business and all that. She never once asked for a raise, and she actually had to hire a new employee because they're just growing so quickly. Well, when that employee came in, this employee wanted three times the amount of money uh, that you know, the volunteer is already getting. And this is what the, she told the boss is that this is what the salary I wanted. And so the, uh, my volunteer realized, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm worth. So she went to the boss and said, you know, I'm worth this uh, because I brought her in. I'm training her. I'm the one that implemented it. And, you know, within one day she got three times her salary. I think it was so had she asked for it earlier, but she hadn't done, as you said in the beginning, she hadn't done any research on what her job should have been paying. So she was just accepting what she was paid. And now she's making three times her initial salary. I love hearing that because something that's really big for this is women. Um, women only make 76 cents on the dollar of every man. So... Accordingly with that, women are also less likely to ask for these raises, less likely to get these paid advances. So it's really nice to hear that now this woman's getting three times uh, the amount of her, of her co-employees as well. Well, and I think the important thing here is to ask earlier and soon and to find out, you know, to find out what it is that you could be paid. And another thing that you brought up that I always think is it's worth it because what's the worst that's going to happen is they say no is you were saying that by negotiating in the first place, the average amount that you increase is about 10%. Well, that's a lot. So it really pays when somebody offers you a salary to negotiate. Now, according to statistics, most companies are willing to pay anywhere from 20 to 30% more than what you, what the initially offer you. 
So if you do negotiate for a 10%, whatever it is, that's fine. But I wouldn't, I think it's not a smart idea just to accept the first offer. And I know that when I'm negotiating, whether it be a book proposal or a speaking proposal or whatever, you, you want to be fair all the way around, but you also don't want to leave money on the table. I say the best way to make sure that you're the top paid employee, number one salesman, representative of the company is just to be an entrepreneur and self, self-employed self there. Then you don't ever have to worry about asking for that raise or the fear of rejection because you control it all. There you go. Be your own boss. Well, you've been listening to Cynthia Bryan. And hello, Brittany. And we are the Stella Donut Goddess Gals with you every week on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. This is our Tea for Two segment. Heather, give them the website. Oh, most definitely. We want you to come check out all the books, help the website, help the charity, help the radio show. Go to www.stelladonna.com. That's S-E-L-L-A-D-O-N-N. Well, thanks for being great listeners. Don't forget to go to BeTheStarYouAre.org, and we'll be with you next week. And until we celebrate again, go out in the world and be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. Until next week, be the star you are. Thanks for joining us. Traveled much too far Show the world your smile Be the star you are Show the whole wide world your smile Be the lucky star you are